I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. So what if I told you that 85% of the SaaS startups that start out do not cross a million dollar in ARR. This is statistics from uh, Nathan's uh, uh, database that he puts together where he tracks the entire SaaS universe. There are about 32,499 startups as of yesterday. And out of them, about 4,766 startups are beyond a million dollar in ARR. That's roughly about 15 out of 100. Now, out of those 4,766 startups, 2,700-odd startups are above uh, above 10 million in ARR. Uh, 2,687 startups are above 10 million in ARR, which means one out of two that have crossed a million also crosses 10. Now, anybody in the SaaS industry knows that, you know, if you cross about 10 million in ARR, then you are almost immortal. It's very, very hard to kill that particular startup. Unless, of course, you do something very stupid. Maybe you got caught in a rave party or like, you know, you invested in uh, Silicon Valley Bank just before March 10. I, I, I know two founder friends who did that. So other, other than that, you are pretty much immortal. Now, some of you who are like, you know, very data-centric, you're like, no, you're just taking a snapshot of the st- stats here. Like, you should look at the time series. Fair enough. I looked at this data at Crunchbase. Crunchbase says that as of yesterday, 24,700 startups are there in the world. Now, Nathan tracks bootstrap startups as well. That's why you see the numbers are different. But out of that, 3,000 startups are the ones that have crossed about a million dollars in ARR. Five years ago, I looked at the statistics because I was writing a blog post for comparing the number of startups between India, Israel, US, UK, and Australia. And at that time, there were 17,700 SaaS startups, out of which... Again, about 2,700-odd startups were above a million dollars in ARR. And I work very closely with Indian SaaS startups. And in 2018, the number was, there were 783 SaaS startups, out of which 72 had crossed a million. So you can slice and dice them differently. You take snapshots in different years. And you could even go back to 2011 when Jason Lemkin was tracking. The number ranges between 10 to 15%. Zero to one stage of the startup is where the highest amount of mortality rate is. And me and my co-founder, Prasanna, we've been thinking about this for a while. Why is it that in the zero to one stage, the highest amount of mortality rate is there? He was working at Microsoft, me at Intuit, and we ran accelerators inside in our organization and outside. And uh, we were trying to improve the odds of the zero to one mortality rate. We looked at a lot of frameworks. We looked at lean sheen startup or whatever was the fashion of the day, like whatever is the fashion of today, we were looking at frameworks and we said, hey, I could use it. 
and we would get very elated. We would say, oh, this is something that looks like that you can solve the problem. And then, you know, a few months later, we would realize that, you know, it was, uh, it was only being used by people who are selling frameworks. It doesn't really, really help. And out of all the frameworks that we have looked at, the one that I'm the most disappointed with is this whole idea of product market fit. It's not even a framework. It's just a phrase. Some people like to call it a mental model. And I think, you know, it is a fraud mental model. I have not found a single entrepreneur who could look at the definition of product market fit and say, hey, this is how I reach product market fit. It has not been actionable at all. This mental model is only used by investors, that's what I've seen in the last 10 years, to decide whether they should further do follow-on funding or not. It doesn't help in making progress in an actionable way for founders. So I run a SaaS accelerator called Upeka. And I work with about 108 startups as of our last cohort, which is the 11th cohort. And in our first cohort in, in, in 2017, we had uh, 10 startups that joined us. Eight out of the 10 have crossed about a million dollar in ARR. Ninth took a small exit. And then the 10th one is the one that did not cross the million dollar ARR mark. They're roughly at about 40K of MRR. Now, through these trials and iterations, there is some method to this madness of going from 0 to 1 where the odds are more than 15% that we've seen. Right? And in that experience, what we've come to frame this as is, we call it as building a SaaS flywheel. Now, when you're building a SaaS product, you are, of course, going to do engineering, you're going to do building, you're going to create your product, you're going to do some marketing, you're going to do some sales, and you're going to set up your customer success. All of this is going to happen. But underneath that, you're going to actually do fundamental choices, fundamental blocks. And that we call as the inner flywheel. And this inner flywheel is nothing but a set of six choices that you make. And the reason we call this as a flywheel is, is all these choices are interrelated with each other. You change one of the choices, you have to come back and look at all the choices and you know, re-evaluate re them and maybe change them if you change one of these choices. Now, uh, when Nathan uh, reached out to Prasanna, he said, hey, look, uh, no, you need to give a talk. And then uh, we were like, yeah, sure. But then I told Prasanna, look, we spent six months working with founders on working on these six choices. How is it that I'm going to be able to do this in 20 minutes? And he said, no, go figure. And then Nathan connected us to Mandy. And Mandy was like, look, if you don't finish this in 20 minutes, we are going to yank the speaker out of the stage. Well, fair enough. But then I love when a conference is so tightly well-produced. So good job, Mandy and uh, Nathan, on making sure that the conference is running really, really tightly. But then what I'm going to do is I'm not going to cover 108 slides. I'm only going to talk about four of these six choices and very limited aspects of those four of the six choices. All right. So let me start with the first one. And this is my favorite one. How many of you in the audience are developer? Raise hands. Okay, I expected a little bit more. I mean, about uh, 15 to 20%. I hated to break it to you guys that, you know, I was a developer myself. Right? Most of us think that, you know, pushing code is, is equal to product. I'm sorry, pushing code is, is not equal to product. Right? A product is a problem that you're solving for a group of people. Often the group is called, a fancy name is given to it, called as the ideal customer persona. It just, you know, you group them a certain way. And then you refer to that using a shorthand name. 
often that shorthand name is, is called as a category. But of course, you know, if you're designing a chair or you're building a product like a chair, you're not going to say, hey, what problem does a chair solve? You're going to be like, yeah, this is chair. I want ergonomic chair or I want a chair with a wheel, right? But imagine the day when chair was getting designed for the first time ever. At that particular point in time, we did not have the common mental model of the word called chair, right? We were perhaps having this conversation about, okay, you know, we're trying to make sure that, you know, we are able to elevate someone a certain feet above the ground, right? And when you're building your software, when you're building your SaaS company today, you're perhaps at the same point in time when the chair was getting built for the first time. So therefore, it pays for you to think about this in terms of the problem that you're solving and in terms of the, uh, like, a group of people that you're focusing on. And you want to make sure that you're solving a high-value problem. And you want to make sure that you're deliberately thinking about the group of people to whom you want to target this. And, and you want to make sure that, you know, if you're building SaaS, you're at least thinking about solving a problem which is at least worth $3,000. The cost of problem is at least $3,000 or more. Let me illustrate this with an example. iMocha was part of the first cohort at Upeka. And uh, they were a skill assessment platform company. Um, you know, if you're, if you're doing hiring, then, you know, iMocha is, is relevant to you. Uh, what, what they do is, is they make the entire pre-screening of the hiring process automated. They send out tests to candidates. They, eva they get evaluated and the dashboard of that is presented to the hiring manager. They being founders, they were targeting other founders and they were selling $1,000 ACV in a year. And they had flat revenue for quite some time. They were good at sales. They would complete the sale. But then three months later, the startup founder that had signed up will churn out. They changed their approach a little bit. Instead of focusing on founders, they went to large companies which have at least about 10,000 people in their organization, at least 200 people in their HR organization, and then they said they took the same piece of code and then gave it to them. Now, these folks who are in, in large organization, they spend their entire day in sending all these surveys. So sending all these skill assessment tests. Now, if, for a founder, what happens is he may do hiring once, twice, maybe thrice a week. He's not going to do this use case on a daily basis. But when it is adjusted to another HR manager or a HR person, you know, they have to live in a tool like this. So when they found a tool like this, you know, the few minutes that they were able to save for each of the time they sent, and when that got it added up in the entire day, that was like transformational for them. The code did not change. It's just the persona changed. And where they were struggling to sell for $1,000 a year, here it became very, very easy for them to sell it at $6,000 a year. And that brings me to my next point, which is choose your geography very carefully. Here I have to tell you my experience of uh, working with uh, Intuit. I was the head of product for QuickBooks outside of the US market, which is India, Malaysia, and Singapore. And, uh, like, you know, we spent a lot of time in these markets. And one thing we realized, it is very, very hard to sell software. And I was talking to Greg about this uh, during lunch. Very, very hard to sell software in a market like India. And initially, I thought, you know, it is maybe because software is an experience product. It is an intangible product. You don't get to touch and feel it. And I thought, like, you know, in a low-trust environment, low-trust society, if people can't touch and feel it, then maybe it's very hard to sell a product like this. But then, then like, you know, something else happened. And I saw that, you know, people were able to sell religion, were able to sell devotion, 
devotional songs all these are intangible they were selling so intangible was not the reason you know software was not selling then it took me a couple of years to figure out that you know it is rooted in culture countries like india malaysia and singapore they find time to be really really abundant developed markets they find time to be really really scarce right so if you are selling a, a product like quickbooks or pretty much every saas company which is just a variation of save time if you are selling save time to a country where they already have this in abundance they are not going to buy it so there are some geographies which are time rich but money poor and if you sell save time there it's not going to work but some geographies which are money rich and time poor then save time value proposition and messaging is is going to work so the indian founders had a variation of this and this is something that we help and work out and uh, like you know make it practical for a lot of the indian founders is that they have come to a maxim now saying that you know if you're selling from india it is easy to earn a dollar than to earn a rupee now if you are from a country which is outside of us ask yourself this question that in the cultural context of that place what do they relate with in terms of time is it in abundance or is it scarce then you go and pitch a save time messaging there oh yeah you know uh, i can actually illustrate this with you know the example of imoca again right imoca if you see you know the place where it is highlighted you know first they were able to get out of their flatness after they changed their icp and the problem value and then they decided to shift from india to the us now it takes some courage to do something like this because the traditional advice that people will get is is like solve problems for people around you so they had to go against the grain and they had seen a dip in the revenue and they had to actually weather that and then move forward but then that set the foundation for the next level of the s growth let me talk about the fourth choice the fourth choice is about positioning you want to be very very deliberate about positioning this is something again you know developers uh, struggle with uh this is one of those things which once you see it then you cannot see it because when you change the way you look at the things then the things that you look at they change positioning is is criminally underrated position what happens is we as humans we make sense of the world by having boxes and containers in our head like when you are looking at me you are asking this question are you a developer are you a product manager are you an investor are you a founder and you are going to ask this question saying is this a crm when it comes to products or is it a customer experience management cxm so often times i see that you know founders come back and say hey sales is not working sales is not closing sales is often a symptom it's not the root cause the root cause could be that you know you've not done the positioning right you've not allowed the customer to have the conversation placed in the right box in their head right so when whenever having a positioning conversation i say like you know think about x axis and y axis right plot a graph like this like you know when thinking about positioning remember this phrase association and differentiation first association then differentiation association is is what is that x axis what is that category name if you don't have a category name find a good analogy what is that analogy that people already understand around which you can hang the explanation about your product and then what is it that you will do to differentiate not only do you want to make sure that you are in the right container in customer's head but you want to make sure that your product is the one that gets placed in the container so you have to think about differentiation 
So associate and differentiate. Now you could say like, you know, existing blog. So you could say, you know, existing blog with a certain height. Don't do that. Say chair on the x-axis or say CRM. And then on the differentiation, you could say, hey, this is a CRM that is integrated with social and it is 10 times better than any other CRM. So for those customers who are looking for that, you are the winner. You want to place your x-axis and y-axis in such a way that your product comes out on the right-hand top as the winner there. Oh, let me illustrate this again with another example, right? So Neurotags is a company of ours and uh, they were initially focusing on making sure a QR code gets placed on all branded item. Let's say an LG product that is getting sold on Amazon. But what happens is that LG doesn't have the end user's data. So they help you put a QR code which the end user when he receives it, he registers through it and then he gets warranty support. Now using that they get the data back. For a while, for an entire year, what they did was, you know, they just focused on the code aspect of it. Now, they did this positioning exercise, then they realized the x-axis that they should be talking about is post-sales experience. And they realized that their differentiation is one-click. One-click post-sales experience. This led them to even change the name from Neurotax to Direct, allowing brands like LG to have direct connection with their end users. Right? And earlier, they were struggling with $2,000 ACV conversation, and this repositioning helped them close deals at $30,000 ACV. Um, bonus fifth choice uh, on pricing. I'm going to re go really quick on this. This is, uh, even though I said four, but you know, the fifth one is, is that founders are afraid of raising prices. Right? And uh, this is a big one. Let me quickly talk about another startup called Social Pilot. Um, I worked with two companies uh, like Social Pilot. One which got to 300k, 500 customers, but had to sell off because uh, the founder was afraid of increasing the price. Spent four years building that business. But Social Pilot crossed 6 million ARR last year. And the key thing that I would attribute is that they were not afraid to raise pricing. It was not easy. It was difficult with them. Prasanna, my co-founder, threatened to throw them out of the cohort if they don't increase the pricing. They went ahead and did that. And then they saw that the revenue did not dip. There was a little bit of a churn. And then, then they become encouraged by that. So then they continue to increase the pricing. And that led them to double the growth every year. So to summarize... Use a SaaS flywheel as the mental model for you to actually chart your path out of the zero to one. And within that, the three most important and the powerful levers are solve a high value problem, make sure that you are positioning in an existing category and be very deliberate about the pricing, sorry, de deliberate about the positioning and make sure that you increase pricing. Thank you guys.